So it's two-sided. Um, we've got the passage, the colorful side, uh, which is the passage that we've got today. Um, and I've just highlighted the different sort of points that James is trying to make. And then on the back, uh, we're going to move into Matthew chapter 6. But we're talking about money today. James, we've come to the point of James where he starts talking about money. Um, it's a huge discipleship issue, uh, something that Jesus is very passionate about because Jesus connects money with the heart. And actually the heart is, is the wellspring of life. Everything comes out of the heart. So money, what we do with our money, our attitude towards money is so very, very important. And Jesus has this idea, uh, really this comparison, uh, where he compares storing up your treasures on earth versus storing up your treasures in heaven. And those are your two options. Jesus doesn't give any other options. You, you're either going to value money and store it up on earth, or you're going to value God's kingdom and you're going to store it up in heaven. And obviously, as Christ followers, um, if you follow Jesus, then your heart will be, yeah, I want to serve God. I want to invest in his kingdom. So we're going to look at James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. And I think Beth last week, she, maybe, she called the passage... Uh, that she was uh, preaching from, uh, James giving like a James punch, I think she said. And that's a fair point, this sort of punch after punch. It's really hard-hitting, James, uh, because it hits to the very core of who we are, how we live our lives, how we follow Jesus. And we basically get another one where there's just no good news. It's just six, yeah, it's six verses of a warning um, okay, so we're then going to move, like I say, to Matthew uh, just to see what is James actually warning us against, but also what's he pointing us towards, um, because there is some great news um, coming. So James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Okay, there we go. There's a, there's a gut punch straight away. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Okay. James had maybe had a rough day. Just really wanted to hit it hard. Make sure there was no doubting where these rich people stood. Verse 4, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Jesus, we need your help today. <laughs> I need your help. And we thank you so much, Jesus, that you are you're the giving God. You're the God who gave everything for us. And so we, we've got a, a, a beautiful, beautiful gospel to live by and to share. Like, we have good news. This is, this is a warning, but we know you're the, the Prince of Peace. You're the light of, of the world. You are the one who brings life in all of its fullness. And so this warning is really just to point us towards you, Jesus. It's to point us towards life. And we, we want that. We want your life, Lord Jesus. So we pray, please keep us soft-hearted today as we hear your word. Would you, as you convict us, as you want to talk to us and speak to us, would you please help us to receive that well and to take action accordingly? 
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to see what the rich person is like, what happens to their wealth, and then what happens to the rich person. So we see in verse 4, the rich person, look, the wages, uh, uh, yeah, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. So the rich person is the person, and James will be speaking to specific people here. Like the, These are rich people who value money over and above anything else in their life and in the world. They are living in luxury. They're living in self-indulgence. They're focused on their own self. They're selfish. They're self-centered. That's their outlook, their heart. They're hoarding money. Rather than choosing to bless and to give what the workers who have worked for them are due, they're choosing to hoard it. So not only have they got so much money they can live in luxury and self-indulgence, actually they've just got so much money they don't know what to do with it. They took advantage of their workers. Not only did they take their money, but we see there in verse 6 that they also took their lives. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. We think forward to, like that verse, I was just, when I was prepping, just thinking of Jesus. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. We think of Jesus, the one who went to the cross. The sheep, the lamb, who was silent when he went to the cross. He was condemned and murdered by the influential leaders. They were following in the footsteps of those Jewish leaders, the Romans, they, the ones who crucified and killed Jesus. For these rich people, it's the love of money that causes them to love others less. It's the love of money that causes them to love others less. They loved money so much, it was so central, it was all they could see that they weren't loving the people around them. They couldn't see them. They couldn't see the image bearers of God in front of them. So they took advantage of them, took away their dignity, their value, what they were owed for doing a good day's work. We read elsewhere in 1 Timothy uh, that having money isn't a sin. Jesus uh, is clear about that as well. That, but Timothy says, like, having money isn't a sin, but the love of money is. And he also warns us against the trap of desiring to get rich. Can you just turn me down a little bit? Sorry, Yulia. Is that, Yulia, could you just turn me down just a little? Thanks. Um, it's the love of money, and there's this warning, like, don't desire to get rich. Don't desire it. Don't go after it. He warns against that. But money itself is to be used for good. It's to be used to bless others, to love others.
I wonder where you're at just in terms of money. Where's your heart at? I know all of you, or most of you, fairly well. I don't think many of us are necessarily exactly as would be described, and these rich oppressors. But where's our heart to money? Materialism, at the very least, is a distraction away from God. And at the very worst, it completely replaces God. And I think we can all be somewhere on that spectrum. God's designed us to need certain things, food, clothes, other things. Like he's designed that. These are good things. They're not bad things. But they, when they become something that we love so much that we can't then love others with what God has blessed us with, that's where the problem lies. They get in the way. Materialism gets in the way of us loving God and loving others. So that's what the rich person is like, and we would do well just to keep open to God for the rest of our time and obviously after this, but just being open to what God is saying to us because what God wants for us is uh, an open, generous-hearted heart, a free heart. Like If you think about your relationship to material things, to money, and if you're feeling any sense of, like, yeah, I, I am, I'm, I'm in the grip of that, even in some way, shape, or form, you probably wouldn't describe yourself as free. Jesus wants us to be free. So actually, even if he's bringing like a really strong warning here, uh, and you're sensing a conviction, maybe even an anxiety, like God wants to bring you through that into freedom. Trust that he will do that today. So what happens to their wealth? Well, their wealth has rotted, Moths have eaten their clothes, and gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion testifies that they've put their treasure in the wrong place. They've hoarded it, and it's gone bad. They've not, they've not used it, just to push home that point. They've not used it to bless others. And what happens to the rich person as a result? Well, James says... Listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. So if you're going to carry on down this route of valuing money so much that you can't see and love others, it's going to end in misery. It's going to end in weeping and wailing. It's going to end in that moment where you realize you've got your, you've got your wealth and you, that moment where you realize, oh my goodness, it's it's. The moths have eaten it. The gold, gone, corroded, useless now. The money, gone. It's that moment of realization. There's the book The Great Gatsby by Fitzgerald, and uh, there's Jay Gatsby who is ridiculously rich. Billionaire, has it all. All the money that he needs, the parties, the women, the friends, the influence, everyone around him. Yeah, it's that moment in the book where you just realize, I've lost it all. I've lost it all. It's all gone. Like terror, almost just like, you know, there's that moment. That's what James is talking about. That moment just of terror of like, 
what have I done? Where have I invested? I've invested in the wrong place. I've stored up my treasure in the wrong place. Okay, <laughs> that's the passage. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So it's brutal, it's gut-punching, and it's scary. And I think that is James's point. It's a warning, and warnings tell us what not to do, but really, more than that, they tell us, if we're heading, headed in the wrong direction, that there's another way. Okay, and there is another way. When I warn my children, and I say, look, stop hitting your brother or sister, what I'm looking for more than just their obedience of not hitting their brother and sister is to move towards their sibling in love, to be like, to say sorry for doing it, but then also to be kind and loving. The warning should really be enough. Stop doing that. That's not what we do in our family. Move towards one another in love. So, we do well to search our heart. What's our heart in this? Do we have a heart to give, to bless? Are we living self-indulgently? Do we even sense something of that in our hearts, of having a self-indulgent heart, living a luxurious life? These are tough questions, and I, I um, you know, they penetrate my heart too. Are we focused on our own comforts? rather than loving others? Are we taking opportunities to bless others with what God has given us? So that's one way, storing up treasures on earth. That's what that looks like. Okay, I don't want that, man. Okay, right. <laughs> Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll read verses 19 to 21 because Jesus gives us another way Chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus gives us a couple of reasons here as to why storing up our treasure in heaven is better by far. The first is that it has eternal impact. It's eternally going to last. It's not going uh, to, you know, the treasure we store up in heaven is not going to be eaten by the moths. It's not going to be corroded. It's not going to be destroyed. So actually, if we want something that's going to last eternally, we, we would do well to store it up in heaven. And the second reason that it's better is that our hearts will be healthier. If we're storing our treasures up on earth, actually, we just, we get anxious about money, we store, we store it up, we hoard it, we live self-indulgently, and then we can't see the person that needs loving in front of us. We just get wrapped up in that. God wants to bring freedom to our heart. He wants us to have a healthy heart. 
where we serve Jesus as our only master, where we're not enslaved by money, where we're not doing the bidding of money, but that we're following Jesus into life in all its fullness. So what stops us from storing up our treasures in heaven? It'd be good for us to get to the heart, and I can't necessarily do that with, you know, get everything. Um, But I'll just mention a few. The first is that the love of money stops us from storing up our treasure in heaven. And James was clear on that. What's the medicine to that? What's the, what helps us with that? Well, first and foremost, look into Jesus. Jesus is the greatest gift that has ever been given. And he's been given to us, to each of us, individually, to us as a world. Jesus has been given. He is the greatest gift. If you're sensing like, a, a, you know, a holding on, wanting to keep and hoard for whatever reason then maybe your heart hasn't received enough the gift of grace that God has given you and the lengths to which Jesus went to to lay down his life for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. At the end of a passage talking about money, it says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So the gift of Jesus is indescribable. Indescribable. That means we can spend the rest of our lives and the whole of eternity failing to describe Jesus' beauty and his gift to the, to the fullness of what he deserves. So there's always going to be day after day coming back to Jesus looking at the gift of Jesus, looking at the person of Jesus, and being filled afresh with wonder and awe and joy of the gift of Jesus. So one dagger to the heart of materialism is to fix our eyes on Jesus every single day. That's one dagger to the heart. Another thing that can store us from... uh, can stop us from storing up our treasure in heaven is having a small view of the church. Okay, and let me try and explain that. Having a small view of the church. So when we're talking about storing up treasure in heaven, one of the key ways we do that is by giving to the church. Okay, and what we're doing there is we're looking to see God's kingdom extended. The church is God's plan A for making disciples, for seeing his kingdom advance, for seeing his plans and purposes prevail. So when we're thinking about um, storing up our treasure in heaven, that will be pretty much the primary way that we're going to do that. Because it costs money to make disciples. If we've got a small view of the church, if we're not convinced that the church is God's plan A, then that will really like, hamper our heart and our desire to give to the church. You might have had various experiences of church and think, like, oh, I did give, and then that went, that went wrong. 
like, or they used it badly. Like, we, we are open, we'd love to, you know, if you're concerned about that with this church, like, please come and chat to us. Um, we'd love to, well, we, we want to be open-hearted and open, plan, uh, open-handed and transparent with how we spend the money that you give. But first and foremost, you are giving to God. So when you give, however it is then used, right here, you know, obviously, steward it well, you're giving first and foremost to God, okay? So when you give to the church, know that you are storing up treasures in heaven. If you've got a small view of church, read Acts, fifth book of the New Testament, just after the Gospels. It documents the first 30 years of the church. So it's just story after story of what happened. Read Acts. That will fill your heart with a sense of excitement around the church. Read Christ's Radiant Church by John Hosier. You can get this on eden.co.uk for about eight or nine pounds. Don't go to Amazon. It's about 30 quid, I think, for some reason. I think it's out of print, but you can get it at Eden. Fantastic, just, man, the church is radiant. Yeah, I want to see that grow. I want to see that become more beautiful. And then if we've got a small view of church, I just want to say we have a big vision, don't we, as a church? We've got a heart for this community. We've got a heart for this city. We've got a heart for our neighbors, for our colleagues. We've got a heart for church planting. We've got a heart to see disciples made here uh, in Norfolk, Suffolk, the rest of the UK, and the rest of the world. We have a big vision we want to see every resident in West Earlham hear the good news of Jesus, because he's good news. So we run events in the community to tell people about Jesus and to love people well. We want to make disciples here. We want to see all of you grow and mature in Christ. And this costs money. The Bible says that those who labor in teaching and preaching are to be uh, cared for, looked after, you know, paid to do that. Those who pass the flock, those who are in deacon roles, it costs money to disciple people well. We're involved in church planting, as I said, in Watton, uh, Ben and Sarah over in Frankfurt, the broader RM mission, the relational mission, the church, the church family that we're a part of. It all costs money. And it's all God's plan A. I'm not saying we always get it right. <laughs> but this is God's plan for making disciples. And we as a church family get to partner in that. So when I think about our family and Jude and I chat about our money and things like that, like to do with our, our family, we're thinking like, what's going to bless the family? How can we bless others? What can we do to use the resources that we've got? And for us as a church family as well, we get to partner with God and with one another to use our money to see God's kingdom come about. Is that exciting? Yeah, I think that's so exciting. And we're doing that together. So when we give, we're giving to one another for God's plans and purposes to come about. Thirdly, the... Another thing that can stop us from storing up our treasure in heaven is anxiety. 
And the question goes, probably, if, it, if you're like me, it goes, will I have enough? This isn't like from James, that's, that's not the heart. But this can be a real blockage for us in terms of giving. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Okay, so we'll either believe that or not. That, I mean, it's a challenge. But is it true or not? Are we going to stake our lives on that? God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, not what you think you need, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God will provide for you. He will provide for you. It's the Father's heart. He's your, you are his child. He has adopted you. He loves you. He will not let you go without. God has provided for, for Jude and I over many years, and I know we've got many testimonies here in this room of God's provision financially, of God just stepping in at times, and at times, just year after year, sometimes just God providing through work, and that's good as well. Now, as we give financially, we're trusting in God to provide all our needs. So that's another dagger to the heart. Actually, when we give, it's a dagger to the heart of materialism, because it's saying, I'm not going to store this up on earth. I'm going to store this up somewhere else that you can't see necessarily, like immediately the benefits of it. But I know that this is having eternal benefits, and it does our hearts good as well. Now, while we're on the subject of God providing, we wanted to just give a brief financial update, just uh, to just update you on where we're at as a church. We want to say, like, well done. I mean, we're several decades old as a church here at City West. We will have been going 10 years next Easter. So if you like planning a party, come and let us know. Like, we would love to celebrate, um, and we will celebrate, but we've been going 10 years as well. And we have, we've been a generous church. God has provided many, many things. And I just feel that God wants to say he sees your generosity, and he's pleased with it. Now, as a church, just to lift a bit of the lid of church life, uh, stick with me. Um, every year, as a church, we operate with what we call, well, what could be called a deficit, if you want to call it that. We like to bring Jesus into it and call it a faith gap. That's what we, we call it. Uh, but every year, we operate with this faith gap. So we budget for the next 12 months, and we estimate roughly what we think will come in through giving, and 
every year there's a gap because we're always wanting to press on in what God has for us. So we're always planning more. We're always wanting, like, God, what are you going to do? So the vision always outweighs, actually, probably what we end up doing. But it, that, that's fine. That's the way it should be. We don't want to underthink, like, oh, God, you won't do very much, so let's minimize. No, we're thinking, God, what are you going to do? So every year there's always a faith gap. The next 12 months, that faith gap is bigger than it normally is. Okay? Okay? I've just spoken about anxiety. Don't get anxious. <laughs> God is able to provide. We'd probably look at a faith gap of about 140,000 pounds. So to put that in uh, a bit of perspective, it's probably about double what it normally is. So it's not necessarily that much. We're a church of multiple sites, hundreds of people. So I wouldn't want you to think, oh, man, that's, you know, it is a lot of money, but we are trusting God. As leaders, we're obviously, as with any family would, looking for ways like where can we spend money well, where, where can we steward that well, where maybe can we cut some, some costs there. You might be thinking, like, why has it got to this point? Partly vision. Costs have gone up. We all know that, don't we? Like, we're, we're all experiencing that. Costs have gone, gone up. Giving's gone down a bit in the last 12 months. So reasons for it. So we're trusting God for this next 12 months. I'm not standing here like we as your pastors. We're not anxious about it. We're not thinking like, oh, this is the end. You know, none of that. Like God will provide for us. But we're wanting to encourage us as church family. We want to just bring that before you and say, look, we, we are church family together to call on all of us, those of us who are, you know, members here and call this our church to take an opportunity to review our giving. I think the, uh, the reality is that we're all probably on very diff- uh, various different journeys. The... Some of you might have never got on the adventure of giving. And I do call it that because it is an adventure. It's filled with highs and lows. It's filled with faith and anxiety. It's like it's an adventure, but it is God's best and his plan for us. As I said earlier, it is a discipleship thing. As much as we're called to love one another, we're also called to give where we can. So some of you might not have even just started that journey. Some of you might be new to church, and you might think, oh, I've never heard about giving to the church. I don't know where to start. So that might be you. Um, others might just have just got into the rhythm of it, but maybe never, like just for years, given the same amount. You might have received pay rises and things like that, and you might have just have not reviewed your giving. So anyway, there's loads of different, you know, unique um, situations that we're in. You might be receiving less and and not have reviewed it. So, you know, all things to think about. But anyway, we're just wanting to encourage you, and we're doing that as pastors as well, is to review our giving. Take that opportunity. Now, how can we do that? I know sort of we're 
just take a bit longer because I think this is important in terms of the how. First of all, read, uh, in terms of the how, read 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So take the opportunity to, you know, this afternoon or this evening to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a super practical uh, laying out that Paul gives uh, the church in Corinth of using their money and what their heart should be in that and also the benefit of it. They were doing a collection for the churches and Paul was calling the church uh, to play their part in it. Second of all, talk to others as you review your giving. So if you're married, talk to your spouse. If you're not married, chat to a friend that you trust or friends that you trust. Chat about it in life groups. Chat to others. Talk to others. Don't feel like you, you know, it's just a decision necessarily between you and God. Get wisdom. Chat to others. Third of all, check your bank statement. <laughs> Super practical, but it shows us where our hearts are. You look through your bank statement and you think, oh man, okay, I spend that much on, I've got a list here, I'm not going to make any eye contact as I give the list. Uh, TV, coffee, sports, clothes, makeup, holidays, none of those are bad things, okay? God is good, he does want us to enjoy life, but if we look at our bank statement we think, and we look and just like things, we look at it and we're like, things just look out of kilt here. If someone looked at my bank statement, they, they would think my priorities are not necessarily in the right place. So it's good to look at your bank statement, just a super practical way to look at things. Another way in terms of reviewing is just thinking, am I giving regularly? Because it's so easy just to get out of the habit of giving. We choose to give monthly. We're both paid monthly by our employers, so we choose to give a percentage of that um, at the end of every month. So we give on a monthly basis. We've decided ourselves to give before tax because we think God should get the money before the government gets our money. Um, I just think that you know, for us, I think you could look at Cain and Abel in terms of first fruits giving. Um, there's, there's a conscience thing there, so I wouldn't want to necessarily um, say that too strongly, but that's where we, we feel. Um, I think for us, we, we give a certain percentage, so for us, it'll be looking at what's, you know, what do we up that percentage for us. And then another how, just sort of related, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it talks about giving cheerfully. It's a wonderful principle that God gives us. And that's a great way just to, just to feed into reviewing your giving. Like, have I, what's my heart in this? Am I begrudgingly giving? Am I doing it because the pastors have said, like, I should? None of that bears good fruit. God desires for us to give cheerfully because of all the wonderful things that God will do with it. He will multiply it and see his purposes worked out. There's a whole host of other ways you could review your giving. Lots of practical ways 
um, that you could think about it and work it through. And so I'd really encourage you, please chat to others, chat to us if you want, um, chat to people that you respect, uh, maybe people who have been given for many years, ask them stories of God's faithfulness. Um, we need that. We need that to fill one another with faith and encouragement. This has by no means been a seminar on like, how to handle your finances well. So let's, uh, let's benefit from the wisdom uh, in the church family as we do that. In terms of practical giving, so we would encourage you to give regularly if you can. One of the best ways to do that is through a stand, setting up a standing order. Um, you can, I think you can do that. There's like a, a form on the inside of here. Uh, more easily, you can just go on the kingsnorwich.com website forward slash give. All the information about giving practically is on there. All the bank details are on there. I think I've put them on the sheet um, that you've got um, as well. So giving regularly by standing order. Otherwise, you can give by bank transfer. You can give by putting money in that envelope and then giving that to, to one of us, and that just goes totally sealed to our financial administrator who processes it. Um, there's a machine at the back where you can give as well. Practically, gift aid. So the government, if, for every pound that you give to a charity, if you gift aid it, so if you pay tax to the government, the government say, for every pound that you give, we will give a further 25p to the charity. So when you're thinking of giving, like, you know, in one sense, if you give a pound, one pound 25 will come to us. If you give 100 pounds, 125, 1,000 pounds, 1,250, not gonna go any higher. Um, but essentially, it starts to mount up when you think about God's provision. Um, and uh, that's just like that. If you pay tax, that's free money, essentially. So do try and gift aid it if you pay tax. You can do that on the website as well, or you can do it on the form inside the envelope. So kingsnorwich.com forward slash give. Right. Let's stand. I'm going to try and draw us back to Jesus after some of those practical things because we, we, we want to uh, come back to the gift of Jesus. And as we even just think about what God's been you know, saying to you, the things he's been doing in your heart, we're wanting to do that in the context of coming to Jesus and dwelling on the gift of Jesus. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we're wanting to do that in terms of being so won over by how amazing Jesus is that everything else flows out of that. It's out of his gift that we give. We love because he first loved us. So it's not, we should never feel bad, condemned. We can come back to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm sorry for how I've, used money at times not to bless others. Maybe you're in, in a spot like that now, feeling that conviction. Come back to Jesus. He's the God of all forgiveness. What God has done amongst us over many years is amazing, and it's possible through your 
faithful giving. And I just want to encourage us to keep on going, to keep on pressing in. God will bless us, he'll provide. But giving is a response to the grace we've received through Christ. We'll do that with communion. That is at the back. Um, These guys will play um, in a bit. We'll respond in worship. We will take communion. Feel free to do that together. 2 Corinthians 9, 15, as I said earlier. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. We love you. Jesus, we look at you on the cross, the one who took our sin and our shame. The one who bore the penalty for the way that we've used money, not to bless others, but to live self-indulgently. You took it all, Jesus, and in return you give us your life, you give us your peace, your righteousness, your hope. You're amazing, and the gift you, Jesus, is amazing. Please would you fill our hearts today with a a fresh uh, vision of your love, your commitment to us. Would you fill us afresh with uh, a sense of, man, you are amazing. You are so good and so committed to us that everything else in our lives, money, material things, just pale into insignificance around us as we trust that you will provide for us that you'll meet us in our toughest moments Lord you'll meet us where we need provision where think times are tough we trust you we're coming to you you know our heart you love us so much and we know you'll continue to be with us thank you Jesus Amen